Good day. This is Lenny Quinta, Medill 66 for Nupex. Who knew? My guest today is Paul Marcajani. Paul is a double graduate in history and music from Northwestern with degrees earned in the year 2000. Welcome, Paul, to Who Knew? Thank you so much, Len. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're glad you're with us. Paul, you've had a remarkable undergraduate career and remarkable life career, ranging from singing in an opera chorus to uh, being an adjunct professor of law in two different uh, universities. And you are a business executive with a law degree negotiating contracts in the entertainment industry. That's quite an accomplishment. Tell us, how did you get started at Northwestern and what drew you to attend Northwestern University from the West Coast? Well, as you can tell from everything that you just recited, I have a lot of different interests. Um, you know, I'm curious about so many things, whether it be the law, entertainment, music, um, teaching. And so Northwestern was sort of the perfect place to explore all those things. And I think it, it's a school that tends to attract well-rounded people people that are curious about a lot of different things. And, and I was one of those. And also, you know, I'm a native Californian. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, Silicon Valley. And when I was 17, I was excited to try a different part of the country and, you know, meet people that weren't exactly like me, experience what it was like to have a winter. Um, and, and I was just thrilled. Northwestern fit the bill in terms of the, the people that were there, really bright, curious people, um, talented people. Um, Chicago is an interesting city. And I thought it was a place where I could really spread my wings. And then, you know, the last piece of the puzzle was my interest in music and the quality of the music school, the theater program, uh, alongside really world-class liberal arts programs. And, and just that combination was, was perfect for me. And then how did your double major with history enter the picture, Paul? Well, originally I wanted to major in political science on the liberal arts side. Uh, so that was going to be my double major because I wanted to go to law school. Uh, but as I was in my political science classes, all of the materials that really resonated with me, they, they were the history books. And so I, I ended up in sort of a, a long, anguished conversation with my parents at the end of freshman year. I, I, I floated the idea of not majoring in political science, which seemed like such a huge statement at the time. Um, and they were like, yeah, you know, follow, follow your curiosity you know, try history, try something else. And, you know, it's funny, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, I think, to, to follow a path and political science seemed like the correct pre-law path. But, um, you know, for me, it wasn't. And I think for a lot of people, you can, you can get to the law or whatever your interests are a lot of different ways. That's so true. I changed my major after my freshman year and I thought it was the end of the world and it turned out to be the best decision I ever made in my life. And I've been very happy with that decision. Sometimes I think we put too much pressure on our young people in high school and particularly in their first two undergraduate years to pick a career for the rest of their lives. And the fact is, in the here we are in the third decade of the 21st century, and no one's going to have the same career for their whole life, I don't think, anymore. I think, that, I think those days are over. So, Paul Marcajani, where did you live on campus? And tell us a little bit about your campus experience. So I lived my, my freshman year, I was in South Mid Quads, which I don't think exists as a separate co-ed dorm anymore. I think it's a residential college now, um, but it was it was beautiful. It was, it was right in the middle of the sorority quads area in South Campus, uh, right across the street from the music school, Luckin Hall and Willard Hall. Um, and, you know, now, of course, there is a beautiful gleaming music complex on the lake. Um, but back in, in the late 90s when I was there, uh, we had our music classes, our voice lessons in Willard Hall, which is the old haunted house looking building um, across from downtown Evanston. So it was a, it was a really atmospheric place to, uh, to study music. 
And then my sophomore year, I moved to the Plex, Foster Walker Complex, where I had a single, which was, you know, nice. That was the first time I lived alone. Uh, but I miss people. And so by the time it was junior year, I moved in with some friends off campus. You must have had an incredibly busy schedule with a double major. How many years did you take to complete the two degrees? So it's, it's a five-year program. And I, I ended up with a Bachelor of Music in Voice and Opera, a Bachelor of Arts in History, uh, and I also participated in the musical theater program for one year. Uh, after the acting classes, I ended up dropping out of that because that was just a little too much, too much work um, with all three of those things together. But uh, but it's a five-year program, and my schedule was filled to the brim every day. And there were a lot of course overloads that I had to take. Um, but honestly, looking back on it, I wouldn't have had it any other way because I I'm somebody who tends to fill up my my week. Uh, regardless. And I had to be very organized. I had a color-coded chart about where I was in my classes every day and um, when I could have some time to exercise, ideally. And uh, But ultimately, my day from 8 a.m. until you know my course ended at 10 p.m. at night was filled with things that I loved doing. And, and that made it not feel like work. What could be better? But you went on to law school. Where did you earn, earn your law degree? I went to UC Berkeley and I went back directly to on. Yeah, back to the West, back to the Bay Area. Um, because I, I did love, you know, being from California. I'm still in California now in Southern California. Uh, and so it was calling back to me. I was deciding between the University of Chicago and Berkeley, and, uh, and I ended up going to Berkeley. Now, when did that interest in the law develop? Did you know when you started Northwestern that you had a penchant for the law or, or did that develop when you were uh, taking your classes? I remember first saying that I wanted to be a lawyer when I was in fourth grade and I was talking with a classmate of mine and we were, we were thinking about what we were going to be when we grew up. Uh, and uh, we both said that we wanted to be lawyers. And so that's the first time I remember it was back in fourth grade. Um, I also was interested in being a writer for a period of time. In, in middle school, I had a little detour and I wanted to be a captain of a cruise ship. So that was my, my side fling for a little while. I might go back to that someday, we'll see. Um, but yeah, it was, it was lawyer from a very young age. And I always looked up to lawyers. I always, um, maybe it was Perry Mason, you know, reruns back in the day, but it was, there's this moral authority that I think lawyers at their best can bring to the world. And it struck me as a very noble profession a profession of people that are trying to make society better, again, at their best. Uh, it's also a profession where you are figuring out how society should be structured, right? You're setting up the rules of how we should interact with each other and the boundaries of what's okay, what's not okay. Um, ideally, we do that democratically, right? With, with input from a lot of people. Uh, so it's a powerful position, but it's also a position where you can enact great change. And even if you're not a lawyer, but you're trained in the law, I think you, you learn those skills. You learn those skills about how to persuade people uh, about what the pros and cons are of going in a certain direction broadly, whatever, whatever, whatever you apply that to in terms of substance. Now, you sang opera after Northwestern in an opera chorus. Tell us a little bit about that, Paul. Yeah, so to this day, and I'm 44 years old right now, um, to this day, I, I think it's so important for me to have the arts in my life in an active way and performance and that feeling of being present with other people in a room 
is really important to me. And I've done that ever since, ever since college. So I started out in my, my senior year, my, my fifth year in college at Northwestern, I sang with the Chicago Symphony Chorus. Uh, and that was my first sort of big professional gig. And then when I moved to San Francisco and was in law school, uh, after my, I think it was after my second year of law school. Yeah, so my third year of law school, I started singing with the San Francisco Symphony Chorus for seven seasons until I moved to LA. And that was that was a wonderful experience. It, it was a great sense of community in San Francisco. Um, it was a largely volunteer chorus, but at the highest level. And we got to work with, you know, Michael Tilson Thomas, of course, and the guest conductors that would come through, Kurt Mazur, um, Charles Dutois, uh, uh, Jane Glover did my favorite Handel's Messiah. And she she's a, a renowned Baroque music ex expert um, from Chicago, actually, originally from Britain. But I just really got to learn so much from all of these wonderful musicians. And then you're hearing the San Francisco Symphony play or the Chicago Symphony play um, right beneath you all the time. And, and you just pick up all of these wonderful skills doing that. And then when I moved to L.A., I started doing more musical theater. Uh, and then I worked with the L.A. Opera Chorus for two seasons. And I, I did I did mostly all the, the operas that involve sailors. So like Flying Dutchman, Billy Budd. Um, but again, there we were working with James Conlon, who's a wonderful conductor. Uh, Grant Gershon was our chorus director, and he's also really a, a wonderful musician. So I, I've tried to keep it up wherever possible. Well, those were peak experiences with some of the very best. Uh, uh, wow. Uh, and everyone listening who has any interest in, in singing would uh, would envy you, uh, Paul. Now, Paul Marcajani, you were active Shortly after your graduation uh, with Northwestern, you joined what was then the New Gala. Now it's the New PAC and New Pride Alumni Council. Uh, you uh, worked in the admissions office uh, uh, with uh, prospective students, incoming freshmen. You uh, were a member of the Alumni Admission Council, as I have been. Um, tell us a little bit about your undergraduate experiences. Uh, I, I I certainly wasn't out in the early 60s at Northwestern. In fact, I wasn't even out to myself. And uh, then you got involved and stayed involved uh, as an alumnus. Tell us a little bit about that and, and how you feel about that experience looking back. Yeah, so in the early or in the late 90s when I was at Northwestern, I, I was also not out of the closet. Um, I did have my first boyfriend, though, in the closet my last year. Um, but it turned out, and of course, in retrospect, it turns out everybody knew. <laughs> but, but I wasn't ready to come out yet. And, you know, my, even though I'm from the Bay Area, my family's a little traditional and uh, I wasn't sure they'd be accepting. And, you know, probably deep down, it's one of the reasons I decided to be a lawyer is you have this sort of sense of power and authority behind you when you study something like the law. But needless to say, I, it was a tremendously supportive community. And even if I had come out in the 90s, there, there were a lot of really wonderful people that were out of the closet then. Um, that are now my friends, many of them. Uh, and in fact, I met my partner at Northwestern. My partner of nearly 21 years uh, was also a voice major. And uh, even though we didn't date in college, right after I came out of the college, after my first year of law school, and I got a summer job at, at a firm in Chicago, he had just graduated and uh, we've been together ever since. So it's, I, I look back at my times at Northwestern very fondly in terms of my relationships uh, that I forged there. And uh, since then, you know, I was involved in the board or on the board of New Gala at the time. 
um, because I think it's really important to have a, a supportive community. And I wanted uh, prospective students to know that there was a community there as well. We set up, you know, the scholarship fund. Um, and so I was, I was involved in some of the early stages of, of making sure that that was sustainable. And ever since then, there's been so many friendships and relationships that have come out of, out of that alumni uh, connection. And being in Los Angeles, we have a very large Northwestern community as well. So I've worked with the Northwestern Entertainment Alliance that we have uh, out here uh, and certainly keep active with my alumni friends. Well, you'll be happy to know that the scholarship program is going strong. Uh, we're going to be having some interviews uh, later in the year with some of our scholarship students. And I think you'd be very, very proud of what you got started there, Paul. And we thank you for being present at the creation of this really important program. And, and I agree with you that knowing that there is an alumni community that's supportive, I think is very important to the students on campus. That's certainly come through to me uh, in the past several years from the feedback that we get uh, from the campus. Now, I wonder if you tell us a little bit more about your your working career, which I have a feeling you never imagined you would have when you were in the fourth grade. And uh, tell us about what entertainment law is about, and, and particularly from the perspective that you uh, operate from. You, you negotiate contracts. Uh, I don't know if you've represented artists or not. Uh, you've worked for some the networks, haven't you? Tell us a little bit about that. It's really fascinating. Yeah, it, it's an exciting, uh, interesting little niche practice if you're interested in the law and entertainment. And uh, well, I'll, I'll first start out by saying I originally want to be a trial lawyer. So uh, I started a very traditional litigation path at big law firms up in the Bay Area. I worked for a total of five years as a litigator out of law school. And I, I want to do that because I thought I love speaking, I love writing, um, but the day-to-day -day practice of it, especially at a large law firm, uh, just wasn't creative enough for me. It, it was, uh, you know, very, very discovery oriented. So you're reviewing a lot of documents and asking the other side for a lot of documents. Uh, you have to worry about court filing deadlines, which always really stressed me out. Um, and, and ultimately I, I thought my skills would be better suited on the deal-making side. And I was lucky enough to uh, get an interview at NBC Universal in 2008 for a, an opening in their legal affairs department. And it took about a year of interviewing for three different positions down there. And thankfully they liked me and kept bringing me back. Um, but, uh, but these are tough jobs to get. And I was very lucky to get one, uh, especially from a litigation background. And so I started in 2008 in the television contracts group at NBC Universal. And it was a wonderful, wonderful team, a wonderful community of um, lawyers who had mostly left big law firms and wanted a better lifestyle, but also something more creative. So it fit the bill. They trained me. I was drafting contracts. And these are like 80 page contracts for big name writer, producers, um, directors in the entertainment industry, in the television industry. Um, and then after a few years of that, I switched to the business side. And I am, am now in a career called business affairs, television business affairs. And I, I started doing it at NBC Universal for Bravo, uh, Oxygen, E, so the unscripted networks at the time. And so I, I was at Bravo during the heyday of the Real Housewives. And, you know, when, right when Andy Cohen was switching from being an executive to uh, having his, his very successful uh, interview show on the air and uh, would fly out to New York for that occasionally and, and got to do things like work backstage at New York Fashion Week. 
which was a really wonderful experience. And so I did unscripted television business affairs um, for a few years, which meant the difference being uh, that I was negotiating the deal points. So rather than drafting an 80 page contract and going back and forth with a, a talent lawyer on edits to that contract for their client, uh, I was on the phone with the agent and the talent lawyer often, um, just trying to get the, the few really important deal points um, worked out. And then we would send a deal memo to legal affairs, my old job, uh, where they would draft the contract, but I, I had the quicker uh, job of just doing the deals. And so you're, it's an email chain back and forth, a couple phone calls, and, and you're really trying to keep the train moving uh, and keep things on budget. Now, you also have taught. You've taught the law at, at two different locations. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I, uh, when I was still at NBC Universal, again, like there's a, there's a theme in my life where curiosity is driving a lot of what I do and the next career stage that I go into. And uh, I was always curious about teaching. And I also felt deep down that there were some gaps in my knowledge about entertainment law. And I thought, what better way to fill those gaps than to have to teach it to somebody else? <laughs> it's a very audacious <laughs> thing to think, but I, I did it uh, at partly as a way to learn, to learn things that I didn't know because you have to know it to teach. And I taught a class, my first class was at UC Berkeley, my alma mater. Uh, at their law school on entertainment law, television, and film. And so I had to learn about film because I hadn't done that. Before. And it was a wonderful opportunity. I did that a couple of times. I also taught a very briefly a television law class at Chapman University down here. And that those were all wonderful experiences, but I got a little bored with it. <laughs> I As I've sort of moved away from being a proper lawyer, things like in, intellectual property, case law don't interest me as much. And I would hate for my lack of interest to convey itself to students. So I have moved on to a different class that I have completely developed, which is even more a marrying of my background with what I do day to day. And that class is a class on presence and performance skills for lawyers. And I teach this at the University of Chicago. I've taught it uh, twice now, and I've been invited back for a third time this fall. And this is a fun class because it's, it's very theater-based. We study things like the viewpoints, if anybody is a uh, theater aficionado or a director, they'll know what that is, which is sort of a, a way of looking at uh, your interaction, the interplay with yourself and a given space and the other people in a space. So it's sort of a very modernist, postmodernist, um, abstract way of looking at the different elements that create uh, communication. I also include voice training. So there, are, you know, we'll we'll go through ways to keep your voice healthy ways to project safely. And then we do improv exercises because I've also done a lot of improvisation uh, since I've been here in Los Angeles. And I think the yes and mindset um, and the sense that you're free to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes is really valuable to lawyers because as a lawyer, as a law student, you're very afraid of making mistakes and you say no a lot. So how can we keep this, this very natural human desire to learn things and get better at things? How do we balance that with being right as lawyers. So there's all these great ethical questions that pop up too. So that's my current passion and, and the class that I'm teaching. Oh my gosh, I want to take your class. <laughs> now, what interesting things happened uh, that might uh, have, have changed your viewpoint, uh, things that you weren't really trained for, but you learned along the way. Does that make sense to you? The, there are definitely some aha moments, and then I'll, I'll give you some fun, some fun war stories too. But the aha moments, the biggest one 
And this isn't something I learned myself. This is one of my early supervisors when I moved into that business affairs role at Bravo. She taught me an important lesson, which was to listen. In negotiations in particular, you know, we're, we're negotiating with talent agents that represent clients that are calling them <laughs> on a regular basis often uh, saying, why don't you give me a better deal? Or why don't you, like, this is really important to me to be able to do not just this TV show, but also this film later this year. Can you please advocate for me to, to make both of these doable? And a lot of times as junior executives, as junior negotiators, our inclination is just to say no, right? We have a lot of leverage as the studio. If you want this job, we can say no to a lot of things. But half the time, maybe more than half the time, the agents on the other side that are representing the talent, they just want to make the case. They want to be able to go back to their client and say, yeah, we tried, we tried. Um, and a lot of times as the executive, if I listen and I don't interrupt and let the agent speak and make their best case, sometimes there's something I can do. And, you know, I think being friendly, being known as a talent friendly studio executive gets you a long way. There's a lot that we can do that's not going to affect the bottom line of the company. And that's going to strengthen our relationship. Because if, if we just come across as a cold hearted corporation, well, this is still a creative industry, right? And I, we can't turn our back on, on the fact that this is a creative industry, even though we're on the business side. And so I think that's one thing that, that good business affairs executives, and I think my entertainment background, my performing background helps me realize. Now, of all of these things, what really gives you the greatest satisfaction? Seeing how excited you are about this course. Yeah, it's the class. You know, I, I think maybe my next career might be a professor or some sort of a consultant that figures out a way to connect this with um, the business world uh, in a more tangible way, and maybe even beyond just the business world. So that that's the, the thing that really is interesting me right now. But to be honest, I like the mix. I like viewing my day job as a bit of a playground to test out these theories that I have. Um, and the lessons that I've learned along the way. And it gives me real world experience, right? Um, I'm negotiating hundreds and hundreds of deals every year. And a lot of them are with very high powered executives on the other side, agents. A lot of them are for movie stars. And it's it's a really great opportunity to, to see if I can close a deal. Well, uh, as we wind up, what's your advice for alumni? Uh, I think one of the most important things is to come at your life and your career uh, in a forgiving manner. It's okay to make so-called mistakes. It's okay to have a windy path. And it's okay to check in with yourself after a couple of years. You know, I, I graduated from Northwestern having a very clear goal. I wanted to practice. I wanted to be a litigator at a large law firm in San Francisco and sing with the San Francisco Symphony Chorus on the side. By the time I was 28, I was doing that, um, earlier than that even. And, you know, that was great, that was wonderful, but then what, right? So just because you, you have a specific goal in mind when you're 20, when you're 25, when you're 35, 45, that doesn't mean that it's a goal forever for you. You have to let yourself change, and I think, that means the corollary to that is that you also have to notice what's around you. You have to listen and just continue that challenge to be open as you age. It's very tempting to sort of close down and, and become more rigid as we get older um, because we think we know a lot more. And 
you know, it's easier to jump to certain conclusions. No, I don't like that kind of industry or I don't like, I don't want to ever want to live in Los Angeles. Maybe that'll change. Maybe Los Angeles will change, right? So be, being open to that, listening, seeing what's, uh, what's around you that catches your, your interest and your curiosity. I think there's a lot of value to be learned from doing that. And for students, for students at Northwestern contemplating their career who might eavesdrop on our interview, uh, Paul Marcajani, uh, what might you tell them about uh, how they should think about their first job and, and thereafter, maybe? Uptight, scared to death, worried about yeah. their first job, worried about being out, perhaps? Right. When I graduated, I, I had a philosophy that I want to keep as many doors open as possible. And I, I don't regret that choice. Right. So going to law school, that's not going to close a lot of doors. You're going to learn a lot. A lot of degrees valuable. Working at a large law firm, that's not going to close a lot of doors. It's a good experience. It looks good on your resume. So I, I sort of had that approach right when I graduated. And, and I don't I don't think that was the wrong choice for me, at least. Um, partly because, you know, look, I'm not doing that anymore. And so it's probably wise. I probably maybe I sensed deep down that that wasn't my forever career and I, that I was still learning about myself. And so for me, at that place in my life, I think that was the right choice. Other people might have a, a better sense from a younger age about what their calling is. So know yourself. Ask, ask yourself that question. Like, mm, it's tough to know yourself when you're, when you're in college, but you at least know what you're curious about. So follow your curiosity. Uh, and then try to, I almost live my life like I'm writing a book very slowly. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, I'm on a path and there's always a choose your own adventure. There are these little forks in the road, but, and I, I, I want to think down the different options a little bit, a few years down. And then ultimately I just, I, I go with, with what I'm genuinely curious about, because that's probably going to propel me to some level of success in it. Um, or at least I won't regret it. If you were talking to a prospective student considering Northwestern might confide to you that they're a member of the LGBTQ plus community or not. Uh, and they're wondering whether Northwestern is the kind of place where they can succeed and thrive. What, what would you tell them, Paul? I would recommend Northwestern unequivocally. And that is because it attracts students that are open-minded, uh, that, that don't want to just go to, you know, an, an engineering school, but maybe they want to go to an engineering school that's also known for great arts or that's close to a big city or, you know, that has a certain quality of life. So I think people come to Northwestern because they're not just interested in one thing. And I think being part of the, the LGBTQ community, being around open-minded people is important, especially when you're in college. You know, you don't want to be living on the defensive the entire time. You don't want to be constantly scanning for threats on the horizon. And uh, you'll be around a lot of artistic people. You'll be a around people that are involved in community service and have you know the Chicagoland area sort of as a place to do good work in the world. And so I, I think it's a, it's a wonderful place to really find yourself. And if you know who you are already, fantastic. It's a great place to get practical skills and experience to go to the next level quickly. Paul Marcajani, thank you so much for being our guest today on Who Knew? And for Who Knew and NUPEC, this is Lenaya Quinta. Good day.